good. Amen. His mercy endures forever. So we thank God that we serve a merciful God and an empowering God. Amen. An empowering God. Amen. For five years I was tormented by the devil every day to kill myself. He told me I wasn't worth living and I believed it. But God. Amen. So the first, amen. The first, the first uh, ministry that God gave me was casting out devils. Amen. And that was to let me know that the devil had no more power over me. Amen. And, amen. And to demonstrate the authority of God over all the power of darkness. And I've been walking in authority ever since. Amen. Won't stop doing it. Can't stop doing it. Amen. Amen. We got enough wimpy Christians down here. We need some people who can obey God and, and understand who who they are in him. So we that's what we want to know. So we thank God for releasing that to Miss Brenda. Amen. And letting her know. She's empowered. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about uh, persecution in North Korea. That uh, nation is at the top of the list of 60 as far as the worst persecution uh, on the earth. And this is uh, the story about uh, a group of believers who are surviving by God's grace alone in North Korea. If you think North Korea's dictators are bad for the world, just imagine what it's like to be a Christian there. Anyone who knows anything about world missions and the global church knows about the Christians of South Korea, according to the Operation World Prayer Guide. From the first Protestant church planted in 1884, South Korea now has possibly 50,000 Protestant congregations and 15 million Christians of all kinds. It's also a missionary powerhouse currently sending more than 21,000 missionaries to about 175 countries. Amazing. But the Christians of North Korea, they're virtually invisible. Though, of course, not in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, Operation World says that although no one really knows their true number, there could be as many as 350,000 underground Christians living in the slave state of 24 million people. When you consider that the government there, run by the Japanese occupiers during World War II, or the current cult-like totalitarian leadership, has been trying to stamp out all vestiges of Christianity for about 70 years, it's also amazing. Tragically and infuriatingly, some 100,000 of these brothers and sisters in Christ are locked up in harsh prisons or work camps. Where, they did, where did they come from? And how do they survive? Well, in answer to the first part, it's a fascinating story. Did you know from the late eight, from the late 19th century until 1942, Pyongyang, North Korea's Orwellian capital city today, was known as the Jerusalem of the East? According to Providence Journal, a Presbyterian medical doctor named Horace Allen became physician to the king of Korea and received royal permission to proselytize after saving the life of a royal family member severely wounded during an attempted coup. 
Presbyterian and Methodist missionaries from the United States followed, and along with Catholic and other Protestant missionaries from other countries, they found Koreans to be receptive to their message in large numbers. A quarter of a century later, in 1910, Korean Christians numbered over 200,000, two-thirds of them Presbyterians and Methodists, in a country of approximately 13 million people. In the city of Seoul, if the city of Seoul was receptive to the gospel, and it was, Pyongyang was even more so. Following a series of revivals in and around the Jerusalem of the East, by 1910, the region was most heavily Christian in all of Korea. Of course, most of us know what happened next. After World War II, the communist regime of Kim Il-sung attempted to stamp out all foreign religions, especially Christianity, which was branded as a tool of Western imperialism. Missionaries were thrown out, churches closed, and many Christians executed for their faith, with many more pouring into democratic South Korea at the end of the Korean War. So how do those who remain survive? As with all of us, by God's grace, today, Open Doors USA reports North Korea is the most oppressive place in the world for Christians. Due to the ever-present surveillance, the agency says many pray with eyes open, and gathering for praise or fellowship is practically impossible. Worship of the ruling Kim family is mandated for all citizens, and those who don't comply, including Christians, are arrested, imprisoned, tortured, or killed. Entire Christian families are imprisoned in hard labor camps. It's no wonder that one North Korean Christian lady who escaped continues to pray a simple prayer she learned from her mother, Lord, Lord, please help us. And the Lord, through agencies like Open Doors, is answering their prayer, providing Bibles and emergency relief inside the country, as well as fleeing North Korea, as, as to fleeing North Korean Christians. They're not invisible to him, and now I hope not to us either. So that's the story on North Korea which is, as they say, the worst as far as persecuting Christians is concerned. Um, I'm going to read you the story about uh, a man named Peter. He's a, a worker for uh, Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. He was in prison in Sudan for 14 months, and uh, this is his story. When the airport security officer trapped, tapped me on the shoulder and motioned for me to follow him, I didn't think much of it. It was December 10th, 2015, and I was heading home after spending four days in Sudan, meeting with Christians and evaluating how Voice of the Martyr could help the church there. With my boarding pass in hand, I assumed I was merely being given an extra security screening at Khartoum Airport. Everything seemed routine until the officers spread several photographs before me on a table. I stared in shock at photos taken of me outside my hotel with other photos of me at a restaurant where I shared a meal with a Sudanese pastor. Clearly, I had been under surveillance by Sudanese police ever since entering the country. I looked nervously at my watch. My plane was about to take off, and I wasn't going to be on it. Instead, I was being falsely charged with multiple crimes, including espionage and entering Sudan illegally. When I was a teenager, my father handed me a book one day and said simply, you should read this. And it was how I got to know Richard, Richard Wormbrand. The book, Pastor Wormbrand's In God's Underground, had been smuggled into our native Czechoslovakia by Christians providing aid to the underground church. 
My father had already experienced harassment and arrest as a pastor, and my brothers and sisters and I were all harassed at school by, for refusing to join the Young Pioneers and wear the communist group's telltale red scarf. As I read of Pastor Wormbrand's suffering, I couldn't imagine that I would one day meet him and work for the organization he founded in 1967. Nor could I imagine that almost 40 years later I'd be handed another of his books, this one a Czech translation of If Prison Walls Could Speak, while I was sitting in a Sudanese prison. When Pastor Wormbrand and his wife Sabina were launching their ministry called Jesus to the Communist World, later renamed the Voice of the Martyrs, I was growing up as a son of a pastor in the Communist World. Czechoslovakia had become a satellite of the Soviet Union after the Communists seized power in 1948, and by the time I was born in the 1960s, the country was firmly entrenched in the Eastern Bloc. Pastors and their churches were closely monitored, and authorities pressured families to enroll their children in communist doctrine classes. While my father's official job was pastoring a state-approved church, he and my mother unofficially trained Christians through a network of secret churches across the country. I'm ashamed to admit that as a boy I was embarrassed by my father's occupation and the fact that it wasn't honored by our government or culture. By God's grace, however, I came to know Christ at the age of 15. Suddenly, I didn't care what others thought. I spoke openly about my faith, even in the classroom. Teachers called me to their office sometimes to punish me for speaking out about, but at other times because they wanted to know more about Christ. Although both my father and mother were on occasion detained because of their Christian work, we felt that it was an honor to suffer persecution in the name of Christ. Despite the pressure we faced as Christians under a communist government, we always knew that our brothers and sisters in other countries, free countries, were trying to support us. We never lacked for anything. Years later, as I reflected on my childhood from a Sudanese prison cell, it became very clear that God had been preparing me for that tap on the shoulder at the Khartoum airport ever since I was a young boy. In a cell with ISIS, after confiscating my camera and laptop, authorities at the Khartoum airport questioned me for almost 24 hours. They wanted to know about every photo and every person I had met in Sudan. Finally, I was taken by car to a building that I later learned was a prison prison run by the NISS, or National Intelligence Service of Sudan. The guards took my picture from the front and side before conducting an entry interview. I was led to a cell at about 1.30 a.m., and when the guard opened the door, I could see one man on a bed and five more sleeping on the floor. I stepped into the cell, trying not to step on my new neighbors, and turned as the guard pulled uh, and turned as the guard pulled shut the cell door. To my amazement, I felt sure I had seen that door before. More than two years earlier, I had dreamed that I was in prison, which is not that surprising considering my work with persecuted Christians. However, in that dream, I clearly saw the d door of my prison cell and heard the lock click into place. That dream affected me so much at the time that a friend noticed the anguish on my face the next morning at church and asked me what was wrong. The door in my Sudanese prison cell was the same door I'd seen in my dream. 
It was the same color, had the same window in the middle of it, and it made the same clicking sound as it locked shut. I realized immediately that my visit to the prison cell in Sudan was not a surprise to the all-knowing God I serve, and the dream he had sent me two years earlier was a comforting reminder of his sovereign control over whatever I might face. The five prisoners on the floor squeezed a little closer together and pointed toward a sliver of empty floor space. I lay down without a blanket, trying to ignore all the questions racing through my mind. How long will I be here? What is my family thinking? What have they been told? The next morning, I met my cellmates who immediately asked about news from the outside world. As I began to tell them about recent attacks by the self-proclaimed ISIS or Islamic State that had killed 129 people in Paris, they jumped to their feet and (laughs) started shouting, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah is great. Their joy at hearing this news shocked and frightened me, so I decided not to share any further information with them. My cellmates became increasingly demanding, especially during the five times each day when Muslims are required to pray. At first, they told me to stand behind them while they prayed so their eyes would not have to fall on a Christian. Then they told me I had to stand in the bathroom while they prayed. Finally, they ordered me to face the toilet and not even turn toward them. Then they read the Koran aloud throughout most of the day, and I began to wonder how long I could stand the constant droning of Quranic verses without losing my mind. Although I didn't have a Bible in those days of my early imprisonment, God was faithful to remind me of verses that I had read or studied in the past. It seemed like every couple of days he would remind me of a particular passage of Scripture. The hardest thing was being away from my family and not knowing whether they knew where I was or what I what had happened to me. I quickly brought that broke down in tears when I thought of them, so I worked hard not to think about them because I didn't want my cellmates to see me crying. After a few weeks in that cell, God brought Revelation 4.8 to my mind. The four living creatures do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I remember thinking, and I believe it was from the Lord, that if those four living creatures could say those words, holy, 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 throughout all of eternity, then surely I could imagine to say them for one minute or five minutes or an hour. In my mind, I began to repeat that verse over and over, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. As I recited the verse, I began to focus on specific attributes of God. Holy, holy, holy is God the healer. I would pray for the healing of Christians who have been injured in attacks in Nigeria. Holy, holy, holy is the God who set captives free. And I would pray for Christians in Eritrea who have been in prison for more than a decade. I began to focus on God's holiness and power instead of on my own situation. Things, then things in my prison cell changed for the worse. My cellmates mates made it very clear that as a Christian, I was an infidel of little value. They began calling me the filthy rat or filthy pig. At first, I refused to answer. Not, that's not my name, I thought, and I won't dignify it with a response. But when I didn't answer, they hit me with a broom handle and forced me to stand in a corner of the cell for hours at a time. Then they began to punch and kick me. They also questioned me about the Christian work I was doing in Sudan. If they didn't like my answer, they hit me. As they slapped and kicked me, I thought of how Jesus was beaten with wooden sticks, 
by the Roman soldiers. One particular beating was so bad that I thought I had a broken rib. A 400-pound guy kicked me with his shoes on, so it was very painful. Despite this physical abuse, I realized God was performing a miracle. I had peace. I could even think about my family and pray for them without breaking down in tears. God was with me. My cellmate soon increased the pressure on me. One of them slowly sharpened the edge of a metal plate while threatening to slit my throat. They also attempted to torture me with waterboarding because they said the Czech Republic had cooperated with the United States in waterboarding Muslims. They also collected water. As they collected water to pour on my face and prepared to tie me up, a guard who had overheard their plans opened the cell door and moved me to another cell. I believe that God was sent by the Lord to save my life that day. In the 10th of each month, which marked another month since my arrest, I struggle with discouragement and depression. How long, O oh Lord, will you leave me here, I ask? How long will you keep me separated from Wanda and our children? How much more can I endure? God answered my questions by the 10th of April, 2016, by which time I had been moved from the NISS prison to a regular prison. That night, when 14 new prisoners was added to my already overcrowded cell, God distinctly led me to talk to these new prisoners and share my testimony with them. I simply focused on the people of God placed in my path each day and asked him to use me to build his kingdom while I was in prison. Each new prisoners, the new prisoners were from Eritrea, a country I had visited for Voice of the Martyrs. They had been captured while passing through Sudan as they fled their oppressive homeland. After getting to know them a little, I shared my testimony and introduced them to the gospel. Several of the Eritreans listened closely. Two of them made a decision to follow Christ. The next morning, all 14 were transferred out of the prison, and I never saw them again. But I'm confident I'll see at least two of them alive again in heaven. The Lord had turned the 10th day of the month, normally a day of discouragement and depression, into a day of ministry and celebration. From that day onward, I dedicated my prison time to the Lord. If you will allow me opportunities to share the gospel, I will stay here as long as you want, I prayed. I experienced a radical change of heart, no longer fretting about my trial and how long I would be in prison. In fact, they even stopped praying that I would be released from prison. I simply focused on the people God placed in my path each day and asked him to use me to build his kingdom while I was in prison. Later in April, I received a visit from a Czech Republic embassy official who brought me a much appreciated Czech Bible. After almost five months without God's word, I was hungry. Finally, I could dive into the scriptures. I could read my Bible only in daytime when natural light entered my cell. So I read it from 8 in the morning till about 4 in the afternoon every day. I had to read standing up leaning against the prison bars so the light would fall across the pages. I was so hungry that I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in three weeks, just reading four hours a day. As I came across different passages that God had brought into mind during my months without a Bible, it was like finding a pearl or receiving a loving embrace from God. I scratched those special references into my cell wall so I could quickly read 
turn to the verses like 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with a temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Two Sudanese pastors uh, were being tried with me. They were placed in a cell across from mine, so we would call out verses to each other across the hall. Read Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We can rejoice today. We can be steadfast in prayer. Eventually, the three of us and another Sudanese man who had served as my translator were transferred to a prison where there was a Christian chapel. The Christians in that prison met almost daily, so the pastors and I had many opportunities to minister and study God's word together. What sweet fellowship it was. I worried that my Sudanese friends might view me as the cause of their imprisonment and separation from their families, but they quickly put my mind at ease. This is God's plan, they said simply. Our trial dragged on month after month, and hearings occurred only once a week. We were loaded into the back of a truck and driven for one hour on hot, dusty roads to the courthouse in the center of Khartoum. Sometimes we would arrive uh, as scheduled only to learn that the judge had canceled the day's hearings or that there was no electricity in the courthouse. Then we would turn around and drive back to the prison. Our Sudanese Christian brothers and sisters were a great encouragement at these hearings. Often they would gather outside the courthouse, risking their own arrest to sing hymns as we were led into the courthouse. I'll never forget Pastor, Pastor Kuwa's tears as he heard the hymns being sung in his tribal language outside the courthouse. We never felt alone. Not only God, but also his body, the church, was standing boldly with us during our trial. Some of the lawyers began to tell me that I would be going home soon, and prisoners began to ask for my clothing and blanket after hearing I would be hearing I would be leaving, but I didn't believe it. I felt certain the court would find me guilty and I would remain in prison. On January 29, 2017, we gathered in our courtroom to hear the verdict in our case. My assumption was correct. I was found guilty on multiple charges and sentenced to life in prison, which under Sudanese law means 20 years. The additional convictions, however, added another four years to my sentence. Pastor Hassan and my translator were found guilty of helping me commit espionage, sentenced to 12 years each. Pastor Kua, who wasn't even in Sudan during my visit, had already been set free. It was pretty clear that he couldn't have aided and abetted me in committing acts of espionage. While I had fully expected to be found guilty, hearing the judge say life in prison hit me hard. Would I survive 20 more years in prison? Would I ever see my family again? What would they think when they heard those terrible words? But I also took comfort in the promise I had made to God. I had told him I was willing to stay in prison as long as he would use me. Clearly, he had a plan for me there. After our conviction and sentencing, we were moved to Cobra Prison, the, referral, the preferred site for political prisoners. On February 23, 2017, I sat in the prison yard reading Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, they were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Within seconds of finishing the psalm, the prisoner commander approached me and said, Peter, you are getting released today. I felt like I was dreaming. 
<laughs> when my fellow prisoners heard the news, they rejoiced with me and shouted for the joy. The release of a prisoner is always encouraging news in a prison, even though the others are eager to be released too. That was a moment of joy as no other prisoners hugged, as the other prisoners hugged me and rejoiced over my release. In God's faithfulness, he again had prepared me for the happy news a a few seconds earlier in the psalm. The first letter I had written to my family had included these words of encouragement. Please be strong in the Lord and trust him that he is in control. He is the one that has keys for my cell. After 445 days in prison, God used those keys to open my cell door. Three days later, I was sitting on an airplane next to a foreign minister of the Czech Republic about to leave the airport where I had received that tap on the shoulder 14 months earlier. I'm so thankful for those who prayed for me and my family. Amen. During my time in prison, I'm grateful to God that Pastor Hassan and my translator have also since been released. Returning to my home after being sentenced to life in prison has given me an interesting perspective. Although I gave my life to Christ when I was 15 years old, I think it has more meaning now when I say, Lord, the rest of my life is yours. You brought me out of prison. You saved me from a life sentence. The rest of my life is yours. It is in your hands. Here I am. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. This is my decision. I will seek the will of the Lord and do whatever he wants me to do until I meet him one day. Amen. Praise God. Isn't that great? Amen. 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 Okay, I'm going to read this other one, then we're going to pray. It's uh, it's called No Permission Required. Jesus said, teach all nations. He never said that we need governmental permission to evangelize. Faithfulness to God is the great commission to, to God and the great commission compel us to reach beyond borders to people in restricted nations. Richard Wormbrand, Vietnam, a very bad religion. No, you cannot tell others about Christianity, the teacher scolded. You cannot do this because Christianity and American religion are an American religion and a very bad religion. The high school teacher's harsh words neither surprised nor discouraged young Han. Ever since seeing how the gospel had changed his alcoholic father, he had wanted to follow Christ and tell others about him. But being a Christian and sharing your faith in communist Vietnam are not without consequence. As his teacher had said, it's illegal, and Han knew it. Those who evangelize are harshly reprimanded. Some have been fined or kicked out of school, while others have been beaten, imprisoned, and expelled from their villages. Han is one of several young, dozen young Vietnamese Christians completing a Bible study on the life of Christ. The group first began meeting two days a week to go through the six-book series, but their hunger to learn was so great that they decided to meet nightly. After being confronted by his angry high school teacher, Han prayerfully considered his response. I will stop following Christ if you can explain one thing for me, he said. Why does the cow eat grass, which is green, but when it creates milk, it is white? At a loss for words, the teacher immediately marched Tan to the principal's office, hoping he would be kicked out of school. Instead of fearing the principal's actions, however, Han shared his faith with him. The principal eventually dismissed Han after 
cautioning him not to evangelize at school. Han chose not to heed the principal's warning. Like the apostles, he could not help but speak the things that he had seen and heard. Acts 4.20 Han isn't the only student in his group being persecuted for telling others about Jesus. A voice of martyr, martyr's worker said the police are offering gangsters money to stop the young Bible students. The gangsters threatened to beat the students if they shared the gospel, and on one occasion they poured sand in the gas tanks of the students' motorcycles, ruining the motors. The students had to leave them outside a remote village and walk the rest of the way. But the students have not given up, the workers said. They have continued to go back. Asking for permission to preach is a way of life Asking for permission to preach is a way of life for Leonardo. Merely forgetting or refusing to ask can result in death at the hands of the guerrillas or paramilitaries in Colombia's red zones. Pastors in these areas are viewed as obstacles to the group's political ambitions because young people who become Christians are no longer attracted to the group's violent lifestyles. They give you a time to start preaching, and then you have to begin, have to be done at that time, Leonardo explained. There was no nighttime preaching or walking outside aloud, and I always had to give a note if I was going to go anywhere. Leonardo's church soon transferred him to a different area where he worked with people who had been displaced by guerrilla groups in the red zones. But this new home was not, not free from opposition either. There are gangs, hit men, he said. I have been there two years, two times. They have not let me preach. The gang stopped Leonardo in front of his church and denied him interest, saying, Today, no preaching. But Leonardo found another place to preach. With a speaker and a microphone in hand, he began preaching outdoors. He first began preaching to young boys, and in a short time, amount of time, his outdoor church grew to include 70 adults and 53 churches, children. Most had never heard the gospel, but they soon placed their faith in Christ and were baptized. Now, Leonardo is training several others to preach. He knows it is dangerous to share the gospel so openly, but he also knows that he's not alone. God is with him, and he has the prayers and support of his brothers and sisters around the world. I feel the warmth of my brothers outside, the appreciation you have for us, our service. When authorities told Han and Leonardo to stop preaching, they found even more opportunities to share the gospel. Voice of Marta comes alongside these frontline workers to equip, equip them with the resources they need for evangelism and discipleship. Jesus told us to go and teach all nations. He said nothing about getting permission from others. Our persecuted family members are obediently living and evangelizing in some of the world's most difficult mission fields. May our Christian witness be unhindered by earthly restrictions and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So we're going to pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters. They depend on our prayers. They know that we're praying. They can see the effects of their of our prayers. Um, I was so blessed. Uh, uh, um, uh, Congressman Scalise went back to Congress, I think, a couple of weeks ago or so. Amen. 
and that was one of the first things he did. He thanked everybody. He said, my wife and I could feel those prayers. He said, we knew people were praying for us. And so I've heard many people who were in dire situations and received prayer say the same thing. And so we must believe that they know that we're praying. Amen. They know. Amen. Amen. They know by the outcome. They know by when doors open for them. They know when they get inspiration from God. They'll know when angels come and sit watch over them in prison because God can do that to you. We'll release the word. God knows how to get that word to come to pass for them and to help them. So we are going to pray uh, our prayers of protection uh, against persecution. Uh, We'll pray for the 60 persecuted nations. We thank God for doing miracles for these people. And we thank God for the people who are yet waiting on their miracle. Amen. For the ones in North Korea where they really need a breakthrough. And I believe that breakthrough is going to come soon because there are things that are happening. Amen. To move against that government that is in violations of human rights uh, uh, law. You know, there is international law regarding how you treat human beings. And they are in violation of those things, and and people know it. And so we, we have to stand on God's word and understand that he wants us to uh, pray and, and get these people released. You know, they, they need to be set free because God has ordained freedom for them. He's the same God that is God over this nation is Lord of all. And so Jesus, we want him to come and do what he does best and that set the captives free. Amen. So, Father in heaven, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We ask you to forgive our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we stand before you, God, we don't want to stand here thinking that we're okay, but we want to acknowledge the fact that we're here is because you paid a price with your precious blood for us to have access to your throne room where there's mercy and grace. That's what we're looking for. You always send mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So we thank you, Lord, that we can send a counterattack against false accusation and persecution today to uh, deliver your your saints. We pray especially uh, for uh, uh, Pakistan and Sudan. We pray for Asia Bibi. We pray for Pastor Amid. We pray for all uh, persecuted nations in Sudan. We pray for uh, <clears throat> the uh, for purging and cleansing of of these uh, wicked cities and wicked nations, Father. That you would purge all the wickedness out of these nations and and uh, treat your people with mercy wherever we are. And we thank you, Lord. That we submit to you, resist the devil, and he must flee. We command you, Satan, to flee from us seven ways. Free from the people of God seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God, and we resist retaliation against our accusers, and we're serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold, they're threatening and stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. We say let the ungodly fall by their own counsel. 
Lord, you will judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that is in us. Let the mischief of all those spiritual forces who persecute us return upon their own heads. Keep us as the apple of the eye. Hide us under the shadow of our wings. Thank you for teaching our hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. Thank you that you have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lives against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cling to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. Lord, we know it's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord our God. Save me according to your mercy. Let my hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. For the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one, and therefore our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten in Jesus' name. We pray for protection of precious cargo. We bind you destruction, retaliation, and death. We plead the blood of Jesus. We dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And I thank you, God. Satisfy us with long life. We say that our eyes will not be dim and our natural strength will not be abated, that we will live to be 120 just like Moses did. Not a hair of our head will fall to the ground in Jesus' name. No weapon that's formed against us will accomplish what it sets out to do. We are blessed coming in and going out with strength for coming in and going out with power over serpents and scorpions. If we eat any deadly thing, it won't hurt us. If the enemy comes at us one way, he must flee seven. One of us can chase a thousand. Two of us can put ten thousand to flight. Thank you, Lord. Your glory goes before us. It's our rear guard. Every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, we will condemn. Others trust in the arm of flesh, but we trust in the living God. Your mercy hovers over us. And quietness and confidence shall be our strength. Lord, you are our sun, our shield, our banner, our healer, our peace, our great reward. Your name is a strong tower. We run in and we are safe. By your stripes we were healed. We are redeemed from the penalty and curse of our sins by your blood. None of the diseases that you put on the Egyptians will be put on us or any of your church. You send your word and heal us. We walk in the spirit and not the flesh. We're not condemned, but we walk in joy and we walk in strength. And we thank you, Lord, to let those who are persecuted in prison know that they are free, that the gospel is not bound and the gospel is not hid from those who believe. And we thank you to do mighty miracles of deliverance in those people today, do mighty miracles of freedom, do mighty miracles of signs and wonders as they preach the gospel, do mighty miracles of getting Bibles into their hands. And we thank you, Father for releasing your power amongst persecuted believers. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, 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 and amen again. Praise God. Praise God. Well, your prayers mean something. Amen. Don't ever, amen. Don't ever take it lightly. Amen. I know some of you... Skip prayer when you can. You think it's a game. But I'm asking the Lord to help you to be sober. You know, think so. It's not a game, folks. It really isn't. It's not a game. 
this is something that that is very very important to God that he saved you and entrusted his Holy Spirit to you for a reason amen you have a work to do and it's nothing to play with amen it's nothing to feel like you're pulling the wool over your prayer partner's eyes if you pretend to not answer the phone or something like that it's foolishness to me why would you do that to yourself you know if if you have a faithful prayer partner they're gonna pray you're the one who's losing you got me you're the loser amen so if anybody needs prayer, you can come up and I'll pray for you. Miss Swan, if you'll put some music on and then we'll wrap up what we're doing. I just Amen. Need some worship. Let's just stand to your feet down here. Come on. Ooh, yeah, bye-bye.